All 193 countries of the United Nations have declared it a concern of all nations, and the European Space Agency has made tackling it a key priority. Now, ESA and the UN have joined forces to highlight this topic of global concern, space debris. I'm Rosa Jesse, editor at ESA's Spacecraft Operations Centre in Germany, and in this podcast series, we'll speak to experts on space debris, space policy, space law, and more. Each podcast episode comes with a corresponding infographic, beautifully illustrating the issues raised. Find them in the podcast notes at isa.int slash spacedebris or at usa.org. Episode 8, Space Debris and Human Spaceflight, with Ottavia Pesce and Vitaly Brown. Hi everyone, my name is Ottavia Pesce. I'm the communication officer at the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs. That means that I'm in charge of all the aspects related to outreach and communication, so explaining what we do to member states, to the general public, to the media, explaining why space matters and how it can help us achieve sustainable development. Hi, my name is Vitali Braun. I'm a space debris engineer at ESA's Space Debris Office. And here at our operations center in Darmstadt, we uh, care about our operational satellites and we try to avoid collisions with all the debris that's chasing us up there. And further, I'm also working a lot on space debris modeling and mitigation aspects uh, to understand what the environment is up there. Great. Thank you both for being here. So, Atavia, maybe you could begin just by introducing this idea that uh, space debris is a risk at all to humans in space. Indeed. So, if you follow the previous episodes of this podcast, you will know that space debris can pose challenges to space objects, but it can also pose challenges to humans in space. So, for example, the International Space Station, which has been continuously inhabited by humans for over 20 years this year, and has hosted 241 astronauts for 19 countries, um, is constantly at risk from space debris. The station has some specific countermeasures they can use to detect and mitigate space debris, which may otherwise heat the station, and the speed with which they heat the station can cause a wide range of damaging effects, including putting the, the astronauts at risk. Yeah, it's a growing and scary problem. Vitaly, maybe you could talk about how risky it actually is and what's being done to protect astronauts and the space station itself. Yes. So if you think about the space debris that's up there and that the International Space Station is encountering at those altitudes, we are traveling with a speed of around seven and a half kilometers per second. And the impact speed of space debris is typically on the order of 10 kilometers per second. That's One can say 10 times the speed of a bullet. And even a space debris object of the size of one centimeter, that's more or less a coffee bean, could impact with an energy that corresponds basically to a car crashing into a wall at 50 kilometers per hour, or the energy equivalent of a hand grenade. What happens can be that uh, upon impact, we basically penetrate the module wall, and then we could have depressurization effect, which could put our astronauts at risk. Or we could also damage equipment that's behind those uh, module walls, and we have to protect um, that and find ways of doing that. And one approach uh, which we are now using at the ISS is the so-called Whipple Shield system. 
in the Whipple shield, we basically have a bumper in front, which uh, has its main function, basically to uh, to destroy the impactor or the impacting space debris when it uh, hits the surface. And behind that bumper, we have then a fragment cloud, um, a fragmented impactor, so to say, and this fragment cloud then is being shielded off by a second wall that is behind that. And like this, the ISS can basically withstand impacts uh, up to about one centimeter in size and um, thereby protect our satellites from those old smaller debris. Then there's also larger debris. And uh, here we're speaking about maybe space debris of a few centimeters in size, which we can see from ground by means of radar measuring. And um, whenever we see such a debris approaching the ISS, we have the means to conduct a collision avoidance maneuver. And either there is time to conduct such a collision avoidance maneuver, or we detect an approaching debris so late that there is no time to do that. Then the astronauts are asked basically to seek emergency shelter in the Soyuz capsule that are always there attached to the ISS so that the astronauts can leave in case of emergency. But this also leads, of course, to much valuable time that can be lost to run experiments or do other daily routines while the astronauts are sitting in capsules and waiting for the debris piece to uh, yeah, pass the path of the ISS. And um, when everything's okay, the astronauts come back to the station again. There's also a certain risk when the astronauts go out and um, do so-called extravehicular activities or EVAs. Uh, then they're only protected by their spacesuit. And just to give you an idea of uh, which risk they are exposed to, if we take objects that are larger than one millimeter that can uh, cross our ways up there, uh, the chance of being hit during an EVA by such particles is about 1 in 10 million. And that corresponds basically to the chance of being struck by a lightning if you stay out there for uh, a few days as an astronaut. But of course, they stay out there only a few hours, so the risk is even lower. Mm. We have further means to protect them by uh, hiding the astronauts behind uh, the module walls uh, that uh, protect them from impacts coming mainly from the flight direction. And you can uh, basically relate this to the effect you have on the highway when you're traveling with your car and have all the insects impacting your windshield. And the effects are similar up there for the space to be. Wow. I mean, that's a scary thought. Um, leaving the space station and having the chance of being impacted by even a millimeter size fragment of debris. And that could be, I think you mentioned before, a bit like being shot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, scary. But uh, glad to hear that the, uh, the, the risk is actually pretty low, one in 10 million. That sounds quite good. Um, and Otavia, you were going to mention there's actually an example. People can look up the photo of a quite famous impact chip. Indeed, yeah. In 2016, an ESA astronaut, Tim Peake, he photographed a, a 7 millimeter diameter impact chip that's quite big in the cupola of the International Space Station, which is the viewing platform of the station. This was likely caused by a piece of debris no larger than a few thousand of a millimeter. So just imagine what bigger debris could do. Mm -hmm. And Vitali was talking about chances uh, of being hit and being hit by a debris during uh, outside activities. Um, in fact, the chances of collision uh, with an observable space debris for the station is greater than one in a hundred thousand. 
And when this happens, so when the space, when they can identify a space debris coming at them or likely coming at them, the flight control team is notified that they can perform a collision avoidance maneuver. And the number of how many such maneuvers were performed can give us an idea of the chances. So between 1999 and 2017, there were 27 such maneuvers performed. Mm -hmm. So this gives a sense of how frequently space debris can endanger astronauts. And I understand that um, because of the increasing number of space traffic, that even though there were 27 in the last yeah, since 1999, quite a few of those happened just in the last couple of years. Yeah, indeed. There is a huge increase in the number of space objects out there. Um, maybe you know that uh, UNOSA, the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs, maintains a register of objects launched into outer space uh, to which member states contribute. And we've seen a huge increase in the number of objects registered uh, with us just in the last few years. So the number that we now get for a year is more than what we used to get in a decade. So, of course, also the, then the chances of impacts with space debris is much higher also. And Vitaly, you described this uh, shelter-in-place event where the astronauts basically hide out in the Soyuz, and they're also becoming a bit more common. Yes, I think so. They they do so once in a year. We are, we are talking here, of course, about um, low number statistics. But in general, uh, that's something you want to avoid at all costs. So because um, yeah, that's a huge operational burden to hide the astronauts there and to risk the mission. And so you, you really don't want to happen this more often. And you also mentioned that astronauts have talked about hearing debris impacting the space station. Could you just describe a bit more about that? Because it sounds quite uh, haunting. It is, because uh, astronauts were regularly reporting on coming back that they heard those sounds while being on that station. It's like uh, those clang sounds that you that you know when metal hits metal. And... Um, yeah, mm. it's a bit scary to imagine being on that station while you hear these sounds every now and then. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Otavia, maybe you could describe a bit about what the UN is doing in this area to help with the problem. Well, we're working with ESA to raise awareness about this because many people don't know about the risk that space debris poses and also to increase international cooperation to address space debris because that's the only way that we can mitigate this problem and leverage the opportunities of space in the coming years, continue our efforts in space exploration. I lead the communication work at UNOSA, and sometimes I know that it is difficult to raise awareness about issues that are perceived as complex and far from our daily lives on Earth, as these are. Um, so we hope that this, with these infographics and with this podcast, we are providing some useful and clear facts about space debris that everyone can understand so that everyone listening or watching infographics can, can see why this problem matters and why we need solutions. UNOSA works a lot with the International Space Station, so we feel particularly strongly about these risks to astronauts. For example, uh, under our Access to Space for All initiative, which is an initiative that aims to help developing countries access space and its benefits, 
we leverage the space station. One of the projects under the initiatives is the KiboQ program with the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency. And this allows developing countries to deploy a cube satellite from the Japanese module of the International Space Station. This program already enabled uh, Kenya and Guatemala to deploy their first satellites in space. Another program that we have involving the space station is our collaboration with Airbus, which offers states the opportunity to accommodate a payload on the Airbus Bartolomeo external platform on the International Space Station. So, of course, space debris poses a risk to all of these operations, um, to the station itself, and uh, we believe that international cooperation is essential to address this issue. Well, yeah, it's international cooperation that got the space station up there, so it really sounds like it's international cooperation that's going to keep it up there safely. Um, And Vitaly, how about you? What's ESA doing in this area to protect humans in space? So one very important aspect, of course, we were speaking about uh, this impact chip that was observed on the windows of the ISS. Um, so, so to understand how much debris is actually out there, we are developing ESA's uh, space debris model, which is called MASTER, and it currently represents our state-of-the-art knowledge on the space debris environment for objects even down to one micrometer in size. Mm. And to get to that knowledge, we basically modeled each known source mechanism that uh, basically allows you to describe how space debris originates. And to give you just an idea, one such source model is, for for instance, our paint flakes model. And this paint flake model basically gives you a description of how how the surfaces in space, for instance, for instance, from painted upper stages that that were spent in orbit. Uh, degrade over time, and then they start releasing those paint flakes. And those paint flakes then travel on their orbits and might impact the ISS. In fact, on space shuttle windows that were returned to ground, uh, scientists were able to show that uh, the crater signatures in those windows were indicative of paint flake impacts. And if we know what the risk level is and how large those impactors are, we have basically the required input to studies on impact shielding. And that's what we do in uh, ground laboratories. We are using uh, dedicated test facilities to shoot projectiles at uh, samples here on ground, for example, aluminum walls or e- even Whipple shield concepts that we also did to qualify uh, the Whipple shield for the uh, ATV that was the automated transfer vehicle that traveled to the International Space Station and thereby uh, we can design those shields and then say uh, how likely it is that the ISS would still get the penetration at some point and how many pieces we actually um, defend against. And that's quite interesting. We did an experiment in September 2018 where we used the ISS robotic arm with the camera attached, and then we were scanning the outer module panels of our Columbus module. And that module has been in space for more or less 10 years in 2018. And we wanted to see with the camera if we can detect impact craters. The analysis is still ongoing, but the first round basically revealed already several hundred small impact craters that we were able to see with that camera. And this would have been produced by very small pieces of either natural or artificial debris, so meteoroids or human-made debris, and typically smaller than one millimeter in size. Mm. This analysis, but also studying the impact craters of replaced ISS hardware that has been returned to Earth, 
they basically serve to improve our understanding of the environment and also feedback into the model that we are developing for future missions also to have better risk estimates there. We have those videos on the ESA website uh, that show the footage from the robotic arm and it, that's really fascinating. So we can put links to that and the impact chip in the text of the podcast if anyone wants to have a look at it. Yes, that would be a good idea. Yeah, well, so I guess now uh, for the end of the podcast, it might be nice to ask you both, what is the main thing that you'd really like people to take away um, from what we've talked about today? What's the most important thing, do you think? How about you, Otavia? Well, we were, this podcast was about space debris and human spaceflight. So spaceflight is one of humanity's greatest achievements, undoubtedly. It enables space missions that could not be accomplished ju- just through robotic means. So there is currently no substitute for human ingenuity in space, and space debris pose a risk to these activities, to astronauts and to the future of human spaceflight, especially as they keep increasing. So all countries need to develop sustainable plans for the space objects so that they don't pose a threat to future space missions. Yes, I can only agree with Otavia, but maybe one sentence to add there. It's uh, similar to other activities in life, but whenever we go out to space, we basically are also aware of the risk that we encounter there. And space to be basically teaches the lesson that the environment out there can also be quite hostile uh, to live in. Yeah, it's not somewhere I want to go anytime soon. (laughs) I don't know if either of you would consider a trip up there, but the idea of space debris clanging on the outside of a container doesn't doesn't really, doesn't sell it to me. They're very brave, definitely. They are brave, yes. They are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks for listening. You can find out more about space debris and the work being done to tackle it at isa.int forward slash space debris and at usa, O-O-S-A, dot org and follow the hashtags spacecare and space sustainability on Twitter to join the conversation.